Well, hello and Merry Christmas to all of you. Hope you had a good one. A um, few things to say on this one. So, first of all, we had a, a pretty great uh, pre-Christmas sort of events because we had a couple of masses, one after the other, with some religious instruction from our priest, who's a hardcore battle priest. We had uh, Scully, I hope I'm saying it right. He came all the way from Copenhagen just to meet our priest. Found it very interesting. Um, realized that the priest is fully dedicated, which is interesting considering he comes from a totally Protestant background. And But I wanted to say a couple of things in general about um, Christmas and Catholicism, because Christmas essentially is Catholicism in action. Now, all of you that are, you know, shouting in the wings, the J. Dyer Gammas, the uh, Protestants who's got a bug up their butt, the reality is that, as I've mentioned many times before, Catholicism essentially Christianized and civilized um, the West and pretty much the rest of the world. But what I wanted to discuss was a very, an experience that it goes beyond the intellectual concepts of Catholicism, Christianity, and so on. Which, um, you know, it's a sensation you get if you you know, if you're out and about um, just before Christmas and people wishing you Merry Christmas and you're wishing them Merry Christmas and just a general sort of sense of things. It's a little bit more prevalent in uh, small towns and villages than it is in large cities like London. But funnily enough, it is quite present even in large cities like London uh, and in places that you generally wouldn't expect to find it, like, um, you know, maybe quite upmarket sort of... Um, uh, shops like uh, you know if, you, if you've got some um, oh, Selfridges for example you know um, you'll find a service people there will generally wish a Merry Christmas or you'll wish them a Merry Christmas and there's a generic sort of goodwill sensation more towards people which you hardly ever have throughout the rest of the year there's definitely something special about Christmas and you've got to keep in mind that Christmas is, you know, again, definitely a, a Catholic thing. I mean, the Orthodox uh, don't really um, recognize it. They they have their Christmas, I think it's on the 6th or the 7th of January. Um, you know, which is what we Catholics call, uh, I think, the Epiphany, if I remember right. Oh, no, maybe that's later. I don't know. Anyway. And so, in essence, Christmas has always been a very Christian tradition. Now, a couple of atheists are going to say, oh, it's the takeover of a pagan religion. And as usual, you know, the atheists are uneducated. They, they don't know the history and they just make stuff up. So, no, Christmas is not um, the taking over of a pagan holiday. It's, um, it's purely a, a Catholic Christian thing. And has been... Um, you know, obviously um, celebrated for almost 2,000 years now. So it's, uh, it is, uh, it gives a sense of goodwill towards men that is difficult for other people to understand. Now, if you could grasp that feeling, you know, if you've had that feeling, that experience of, say, going to a shop or whatever, or just, you know, in general at work, just before you break up for the holidays, everybody wishing each other Merry Christmas or doing like a secret Santa, which, you know, some people do or whatever. And it creates this generic goodwill where you sort of forgive people their usual idiocies and, you know, you're just like, oh, well, it's Christmas, let's just let it go. Now, that sensation is multiplied a hundredfold 
when you've got a group of Catholic people who all attend Mass together, uh, proper Mass, the Latin Mass, the Tridentine Mass, and we had that experience because, you know, we had a few disagreements or whatever in our little group, and our priest came by as very much as a result of um, having those conversations that many of those issues got um, resolved uh, for many of us uh, f- from from various sides. You know, there is, yes, there is always an intellectual component to it, which is the details of how does canon law work, how is the dogma interpreted by canon law, what does the canon law actually mean, how do you actually apply it, um, and, you know, keep in mind that Catholicism is not a black and white, um, you know, binary. I mean, it's binary in the sense that, you know, what is true is true and what is false is false. But the thinking um, is what I call 3D thinking. You know, if you're looking, if you're 2D thinking, a circle on a piece of paper for you is a, is a wall, is an unbreakable barrier that you can't get past. If you're 3D thinking, it's just a 2D circle and you can, of course, um, bypass it not because you're being um, dishonest in any way or hypocritical in any way but because you've got a third dimension that the other people just don't have so that's pretty much what being a catholic is compared to uh, you know protestants protestantism is very limited in its outlook because of course it is essentially satanic in its um, from its inception so it is a lie it is a twisting of the truth but anyway, that sense of community, of forgiveness, of tolerance, of allowing... Um, there's a very good example in our own uh, little church. Um, you know, there there is a guy I deeply respect who has a different take on um, certain things concerning canon law and whatever. And I'd say that the difference is not in our interpretation of canon law, which is, you know... Um, it is what it is, you know, canon law is canon law. And the, his difference is, well, you know, if somebody is not respecting canon law in terms of the, um, even of the worldly aspect rather than the spiritual aspect, I want nothing to do with them, which is, of course, the correct position. My attitude is like, if it's not affecting things at a spiritual level, if it's not affecting the dogma so much, just kind of ignore it and you know hold don't forget it don't ignore it don't don't pretend it's not there but kind of just roll with the punches um there is a difference in this it is my approach to it is because of the times that we're in and that you know we've got um a relatively small number of bishops and priests and so on compared to you know what we had before 1958 and uh, although, you know, it's arguable how many of those were truly Catholic, but anyway, um, you know, the point is, yeah, maybe not every little rule is being respected, but currently I'm more concerned with effectiveness than with ultimate precision. Of course, in better times, ultimate precision is absolutely the correct thing to do. But again, you know, if you look at my little book, Believe, um, is that a you know a detailed work of theology? No, you know it's not even a hundred pages. It's like ninety-eight or ninety-six pages, whatever it is. Um, I'm going through it now with adding a little few. Um, I wouldn't say corrections, but little add-ons. Like for example, I hadn't read God's Battalions when I read when I re- wrote uh, Believe, 
but um, I'm going to add that as a reference, you know, little things like that. And I think, I'm not 100% sure, but I think if I just upload version 2.0, the Kindle version will just be automatically updated. Of course, if you had the Dead 3 version, you know, there's, there might be a few little things missing but um, on the update, but I don't know what I'm going to be able to do that. I'm only halfway through it, and it's not a very long book at all, but, um, you know, I've got sick kids and all sorts of stuff to do and whatever. Um, so, but anyway, my point was even that little offering, that little book Believe that I wrote is affecting a lot of people. I mean, I keep getting, you know, relatively constant email. Uh, I know it's converted certain people. And I wanted to mention one guy in particular, Woolly Ram, uh, who, who sent me an email, a very nice email, by the way, just for, for Christmas, which I only replied to today. And Woolly Ram said uh, something along the lines of, thanks for being my spiritual godfather, you know. Willie Ram is um, born, you know, he's Israeli, he lives in Israel, in Jerusalem, I think, and, uh, you know, raised Jewish, uh, in a Jewish household and whatever, and he's, because he's read Believe, he's like, that's what tipped me over the edge, uh, I'm going to look for a proper Catholic priest, and as soon as, you know, I find one, I'm going to commit, and that's, you know, think of that, think of somebody who had you know, really, as your foundation, you were raised to believe that Catholics are not just idiots and fools, but, you know, almost to be hated. I mean, pretty much, you know, the average Jew considers the average Catholic as an enemy um, on some level, you know, even if it's not outright, you know, and there are definitely households in which uh, Catholics are seen as absolutely the enemy to destroy and we can tell this you know on a large level larger scale um, by the behavior of certain individuals um, but even at a unspoken level you know they're, they're definitely not considered your friends now think of somebody who's been independently able to think for themselves enough and read around things enough that a little book like believe pushes him over the edge to the point where like no this makes sense this is more true now, is believe a, like I said, you know, a tome of theology that goes through every little detail? No, not at all. It's kind of a hammer. It's definitely not a scalpel. It's a very precise hammer. You know, it's got some pretty accurate information in it. But, you know, like, for example, one of the criticism, one guy said, oh, well, this, this guy talks about the Aramaic version of the Bible. Obviously, that's nonsense. No, it's not nonsense. You're a fucking moron if you don't understand that the people who, you know, eventually put the Bible together and that Jesus spoke Aramaic. And there are um, Dead Sea Scrolls that are in Aramaic. There are parts of uh, Mark's Gospel in Aramaic. So why wouldn't you look at that? You know, of course I would. And, you know, people say, oh, but the Peshitta Bible was not correct. The Peshitta Bible is an Aramaic uh, New Testament. The thing is, I found a version of um, the New Testament in Aramaic that um, one of the uh, very smart geniuses of the ilk, and he is genuinely a, a genius-level guy, was like, that's rubbish, he's obviously just a, a Jew trying to corrupt the Christianity. And I'm like, um, no, he's not. You know, And he made all these assumptions about the guy who wrote this Aramaic Bible, and yet couldn't substantiate a single one. Um, and, you know, I do believe the effort was genuine. Now, is an Aramaic Bible, you know, better or worse than a, a Greek one or, or an English one? Or, you know, I think you should read a bunch of them. 
we know, for example, that the King James Bible, which a lot of Protestants, you know, are like deeply attached to, is a mess because the King James Bible was done as a translation of uh, essentially a Jewish Jewish documents that were six to seven hundred years later after the ascension of Jesus and therefore had been doctored by the Pharisees. Because you have to keep in mind that all the Jews that exist today are essentially Pharisees. They're people who have rejected Jesus. And as such, they, you know, they, they definitely uh, amended certain things. King James Bible is, is, is a mess as far as Bibles go. So, you know, I suggest, and also the Old Testament, as far as I'm concerned, is 400 years of prophecy and metaphoric storytelling. Is it important? Yeah, sure. But is it 100%? You know, there are a lot of things in the New Testament that refer to the Old Testament. And so it's relevant. But ultimately, you know, the New Testament is the new dispensation, is the new agreement, you know. So really, it's the New Testament that you want to look at. And it's also a lot easier to grasp than the Old Testament, which is written in, in Hebrew originally. And uh, Hebrew is a language that has a way of being written grammatically that can mix metaphor, reality, and history all together, and it's sort of contextual in terms of how you interpret that. So it's quite a difficult thing to grasp. Um, you know, it's not written in King James Bible, just like Jesus spoke. So there's that. But again, coming back to the original point, I don't make a bit of a loop, but the thing is, the sensation of Christmas that you get is a tiny aspect, it's a tiny percentage of what you get from a truly Catholic community. And as I was saying, there's a guy in our community that I deeply respect who has an attitude that like, no, if it's not right, I'm not going to take part in it. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take part in it because I don't have to obey those things that are not being done correctly. Um, canonically, I don't, you know, there's no onus on me to do so. But he sees it as, well, but you're being a bit two-faced. And I'm like, I'm Venetian. You broke the rules. I don't have to stick to the rules if you break the rules. I didn't break them first. There's nowhere that it says, i got to stick to the, to the rules that you make up. So somebody makes up the rules, I can ignore them. I can still go in the same location and ignore their, their ideas. And, you know, that's sort of, the way I do it. I mean, we, we came to a point, you know, we were discussing it and proper arguing. And he said, like, no, but don't you understand that's how schism starts? And I said, yeah, I do understand that. But, you know, and I made an example. I said, you do know that in order to take over, um, oh, what was the, Antioch, I think, in order to take over Antioch, Bohemond did so by bribing one of the guards to open one of the gates. You know, and he laughed because he understood exactly where I was coming from, which is sometimes you got to, you know, break, bend, not break, but bend the rule a little bit to get where you need to get. If there hadn't been people like Bohemond, we wouldn't have Christianity. At the same time, if we didn't have people like the gentleman I'm talking about, we also wouldn't have Christianity. You need both. You know, you need the guy that's willing to go a little bit outside the lines because that's what a special op team does. That's what the Crusaders did, you know. And and you also need the rigid guy that holds the home front steady. So you need both. And on that note, um, we will be bringing out, uh, thanks to some of the immortals, which are volunteering some of their time, 
and thanks to my priest and, and a bunch of other people. But it is my, my hope that in the new year we will be bringing out a couple of uh, very Catholic things. I'm not going to say what they are, not to spoil the surprise. They're going to be very sort of, you know, for, for Catholic people pretty much only one of them is, is going to be something that's um, only in Latin. So, um, you know, that gives you an idea. The other one that I'm trying to do is uh, is something quite a bit more involved that will require permissions and so on. But um, I think a much needed thing. It's going to be essentially an exposition of the say, deprivationist um, belief system from a very theologically uh, accurate point of view. So in other words, it's going to be a, a theologically sound um, work that goes through all the details. And it is essentially the um, um, the root of the say, deprivationist um situation or theory, whatever you want to call it. Um, and in, in, in research in this thing, I also came across a guy's book called Sede Vacante by a guy called Griff Ruby. It's actually two volumes, um, not light reading, quite quite hectic stuff, very detailed. Um, I'm sort of finished, almost finished with the first one and I've skimmed sort of the second one. I see where it's coming from, but, um, oh, pardon me, but, um, it's a little bit too involved, in in my opinion, and it's a little bit too detailed. It's almost like slightly autistic um, concepts going through right to the end of the X, you know, to, to sort of try and say where did the, the Vatican II stuff really go astray and where did it specifically happen in which document, which word in which document. And, you know, I don't think that that is ultimately all that important, although precision is important. I mean, for example, one of the, um, you know, I still, oh, by the way, if somebody out there knows how to get a transcript of the debate I had with Jay Dyer, just send it to me. Um, I have asked Vox, but he's really busy at the moment, and I don't think he's reading his emails. So if you do have a, a transcript, because I want to go through it, um, just to see, you know, if, if there is anything I messed up on or whatever, to which I would own up. Um, but there's other things. One of his... Um, supporters sent a list and I don't know that it's accurate and I don't really have the time to go list you know backwards and forwards through the video that's why the transcript would be more useful and he mentions a bunch of canons of like how no why I was wrong because he mentioned the canon law blah 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 but the problem is that all these canons come after um, canon 160 so it's it's something like yeah you know you Canon, it's Canon 161, 154, blah, 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 and it mentions a bunch of canons that relate to the debate I had with Jay Dyer about the election of the Pope. Um, however, unfortunately for them, um, Canon 160 invalidates all that stuff pretty much because it says, the election of the Roman Pontiff is guided solely by the constitution of Pope Pius X, Vacante Sede Apostolica of 25th December 1904 which is very interesting because it's one of the only constitutions that is not at Vatican site. Isn't that interesting? In other ecclesiastical elections, the prescriptions of the canons that follow are to be observed, as well as those special ones, if there are any, that are established for individual offices. So all the canons that follow that relate to, you know, clerical offices of various bishops and blah, blah, blah. But isn't it interesting how good old Mr. Dyer, once again, just takes things out of context and just says, oh, it's canon this and that and the other. 
and yeah off the top of my head you know I've read the, the book of canon law but it doesn't mean that I remember memorized each numbers or whatever but it's interesting that as soon as I thought well let me just go have a quick look you know see what these canons you know w whether he had any point well pretty much every one of them just gets blown out of the water because you have to refer to that um, constitution which um, I have um, unfortunately there's only one translation in English which is not great um, and the original in Latin which you know is again pretty thick reading um, even if you are fluent in Latin and I wouldn't say I'm fluent um, I understand it I can read Latin but it's not you know um, papal constitutions and papal encyclicals are pretty accurate very accurate documents written with a very clear language so I would I would hesitate to um, to read only the Latin original and sort of say that I've got the whole thing um, and the English translation is you know a little bit iffy and even I can tell that so I'll have to take a bit more time on that but I will eventually go through every single one of those points and I will put it on the blog just again just to prove a point um, so yeah that's basically it for for today I hope you had a good Christmas. I hope that uh, the new year is a good one for you and that you find your way back to true Christianity, which is Catholicism. That's right. If any of you are getting upset, well, what can I tell you? Sometimes, like my grandmother said, the truth hurts. <laughs> anyway, uh, seriously, I do hope you had a good Christmas and I hope you have a, a great 2020 and that you convert and join us. Become Catholic if you're not already. Have a good night.